Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Leah, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, April 17, 2013. Today we're reading from the big book. You're going to find us in the doctor's opinion, page XXX, third paragraph on the page, beginning with, there is the type of man. And today's readers are Sharon, Rick, and Judy B. The share ID number for yesterday's meeting, that's Tuesday, April 16th, is 4280. OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now call on Rose to read the 12 steps. Good morning, this is Rose. And one, we admitted we were powerless over food that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood Him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God to ourselves and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continue to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Pass. Thank you. I will now call on Margaret Kay to read the 12 traditions. Good morning, Ray. Good morning, Vision for You. This is Margaret Kay from South Jersey, Recovered compulsive eater. Number one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants they do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group would never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise lest problems of money, 
property and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Excuse me. Seven. Excuse me. Uh, seven. Every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight. Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine. OA as such would never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten. Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name would never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven. Our public Relation policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. And today we resume our study of the big book. We are in the doctor's opinion on page XXX, the third paragraph down on the page, beginning with, there is the type of man who is unwilling. And I will ask Sharon to begin reading, please. Thank you, Leah. This is Sharon from Minnesota. I am a gratefully recovered compulsive overeater. There is a type of man who is unwilling to admit that he cannot take a drink. He plans various ways of drinking. He changes his brand or his environment. There is a type who always believes that after being entirely free from alcohol for a period of time, He can take a drink without danger. There is the manic depressive type who is perhaps the least understood by his his friends and about whom a whole chapter could be written. Then there are types entirely normal in every respect except in the effect alcohol has upon them. They are often able, intelligent, friendly people. So stopping there, what we're what we're doing here is looking at the classifications of alcoholics. The reason for doing that, the reason we want to know the classifications of compulsive overeaters, is so that we can place ourselves, so that we recognize that all all compulsive overeaters are not identical. There are different types, but we still are compulsive overeaters and we belong together by looking at the classifications of of various compulsive overeaters. It also helps us to understand why everyone is not, everyone who is a compulsive overeater isn't just flocking to the rooms and flocking to be on the phone line with us uh, because there are certain ones, they're compulsive overeaters, but they're unwilling to admit that they have to do anything about it. They they know that their eating is perhaps problematic in some ways, but they think that uh, there are other things going on. They're unwilling to admit that they have to stop eating. They think that uh, maybe there's something wrong with them physically or they're just big-boned, or 
there's environmental factors causing it. So and and then they know that there's something wrong, so they try different ways of of uh eating. And I find myself in this paragraph because I did all of these things. I tried to eat different things. I tried to eliminate different things. I tried to uh, change the type of foods, the variety of foods. I tried not to eat in certain places. Uh, and then there, it says that there are those who believe that being entirely free for a period of time. So I, I've done that where I've gone off of sugar, I've gone off of wheat, I've gone off of of different things for periods of time, thinking that, okay, now that I've done that, I've shown that I I can eat normally, now I can eat normally, and then I'm right back into the compulsive nature where I cannot control what I eat. I just am out of control. So uh, staying away from it didn't help. Changing my environment, uh, you know, not eating around certain people, not eating under cer- certain circumstances. And then it so- talks about the manic depressive type. Uh, and and that's an odd thing, but we see that where people are high and then they're low. And, and that is that is difficult to understand. And in reality, I see myself, I've seen myself go through those various stages and I see it in other people. Um, but, it, and it says that, in the, in the next paragraph here, it says that there, then there are types entirely normal in every respect except the effect alcohol has upon them. They are often able, intelligent, friendly people yet they are compulsive overeaters and oftentimes grossly obese but just just eat and don't see anything wrong with it um and it's it's this is a sad situation here because it says that there are people out there that really can't get to us can't get to our rooms. And when I read this paragraph, these two paragraphs, I get a lot of gratitude just because I'm here, because I took that step outside of myself, outside of of uh, the excuses. Out, I, I moved away from that, accepted that I am a compulsive overeater, that I have a problem that within myself, I cannot, I cannot get relief. I cannot find a cure. I have to reach out, accept that my way of doing it, my way of fixing it can't work, hasn't worked, will never work. I must accept a different way of being, a different way of acting upon life. And by the grace of God, I was able to come to the rooms of OA, find a solution, find a program of recovery that works. And by accepting this program of recovery, this 12-step way of life, I was able to move beyond the excuse-making, beyond the denials, and into a way of living that has brought me joy and contentment and has moved me out of the grips of compulsive overeating. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sharon. Would anyone else like to comment on what was read? This is Nancy. I'd like to share. Go ahead, Nancy. Uh, Nancy, compulsive reader, gratefully recovered. Um, 
You know, when I read that, I always kind of smile because I'm one of these compulsive readers. I see myself, as I think many of us do, in all of the different categories that it mentions there. And I used to not really understand that there was a problem with that. I guess maybe I thought that that was, you know, how everybody was. But, you know, the one I always um, held my held my finger on was the last one where it, where it said that, you know, we are entirely normal. Um, oh, I can't remember how it says it now. Um, I'm getting to that page, but it says entirely normal except for the effect that alcohol has upon them. They're able, intelligent, friendly people. That's the part that I hung my hat on because I thought, oh, I'm able, intelligent, but friendly people. I have a good job. I have a home. I have a relationship with my family. And it didn't matter that I was running around in a 375-pound body, you know. And so, um, and then on the manic depressive part, I just, I smile at that because I thought, well, what does that have to do with my compulsive eating? And um, I was actually at one point, a long, long time ago, diagnosed with, um, a f- they, did, um, they described it as a mild form of bipolar, but that I was on the manic side, not the depressive side. And I am a very high-energy person, and I really believe that that's the case. I don't, you know, I'm not medicated for it. I'm not, I just am a very high-energy person. Um, What, and the first part, I mean, I think we've all done that. I've tried changing, oh, I won't eat this, or I'm going to do this, or, oh, I've been abstinent for two years. I think I'm good now, and... Um, you know, the miracle that has happened is today I have acceptance that I am a critical level compulsive overeater, and there are certain foods and substances that I cannot ingest without triggering that craving, that mental obsession that comes back. And um, I mean, I was one of these. That I, you know, it says somewhere in the big book I can't quote chapter and verse, but that. You know, the great obsession of every compulsive reader is that they want to eat like a normal person. You know what? One of the awakenings for me one time was realizing I don't desire to eat like a normal people, normal person. Normal people don't eat like I eat when I'm in the food. I am a binge eater. I am a volume eater. I can down a dozen donuts faster than somebody else can eat a piece of pizza. I mean, I just, that's how I binge, and that's what I crave. When I'm in the obsession, that's why I obsess. I never obsess about one bite. I might lie to myself and say, oh, this time I'm just going to have one. And the scary part is I really believe that when I'm there. But um, my desire is not for one bite. My desire is for volume and um so that was an eye-opener for me to realize that, you know, my obsession is not to eat like a normal person. My obsession is I want to eat like I want to eat without consequences. And so um, it is helpful to classify yourself with what type of compulsive reader you are. It's important to classify what foods are triggers for you. It's important. You know, we have to figure out what makes us, you know, who we are so that we can then, with the help of professionals, Um, craft a food plan that will work for our bodies, Um, any physical or mental problems that we have. You know, it's just really important. I'm not a dietitian, although I think I've probably studied enough about diets and food and nutrition that I I could teach a few courses, but I'm not. I'm not one that can, where food is concerned, um, craft my own food plan, nor would I want to. But, But there's professionals out there that help me do that. And by following those guidelines and by working the steps and practicing the traditions of this program one day at a time, I live sanely and peacefully in my own skin. I accept who and what I am, and I live accordingly. And that is the miracle of um, being recovered versus being in the disease. So thank you for this meeting. I'm up way, way earlier than normal, but I think maybe I was just supposed to hear what you all have to say today. So I will pass with that. Thank you. Thank you, Nancy. Would anyone else like to comment on what was read? This is Paula. May I share? Of course, Paula. Go ahead. Thank you, Leanne. Thank you for your service. This would be Paula, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. You know, there I find myself in this chapter. and You know, I thought I should get the reward. It says he plans various ways of drinking. He changes his brand or his environment. And then I realized there was a long line of us getting those rewards. 
because we tried every which way. Oh, well, this is going to be different. Well, this place is different. You know, Florida is different than Massachusetts. Indeed it is, and so is New Hampshire. But there I am. I bring me. I bring me. Today I bring recovered me, but there was a time that I thought, well, if I go here, if I do that, if I do it this way, but that part, there is the type who always believes that after being entirely free from alcohol for a period of time, he can take a drink without danger. Now that uses that word danger. And you see, for me, that was present. It was dangerous. You say, well, how could she use that word? Yeah, I'm using that. They use that word, and I can come right along with it. Because once it started, once it started, there was no stopping. Why did I think it was going to be different that time? Then it was never different any other time. Until I came to the place of recovery, it was always dangerous. But this part, there are types. There are some types, entirely normal in every respect. Or so I thought, by the way. What you saw on the outside was not what was in the inside. There was not no intelligence, friendly person, not on the inside. That's what you saw on the outside. Inside was that rage or the compulsion that was driving me. Go away so I can do what I want to do. Eat, drink, drug the way I want to. Intelligent, insanity. Thank you for allowing me to share. With that, I do pass. Thank you very much. Anyone else like to comment on what was read? It's Monica. Hi, Monica. Go ahead. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And I have to laugh here at this, these couple of paragraphs in this book because it reminds me when I read these paragraphs to my sponsor, she then asked me, she says, Monica, she says, which do you relate to? Do you relate to any of these? I went, oh, yeah, that last one. There are types entirely normal in every respect except in the effect alcohol has upon them. They are often able, intelligent, and friendly people. And that's, where, and that's what I said I, I could identify with, that right there. And you know what? I've, I'm thinking back, you know, and here's here was a spot in the very beginning of the book for Monica to start thinking and trying to be honest. I thought I was an honest person, but right here off the bat, I told you I thought I was that last one. And in doing the work, I come to find out, how could I sit there and deny all these other things above there that I had done, that I was doing? I guess I didn't like the word psychopath, so I was just going to eliminate everything in that paragraph. But for sure, for sure, I was always going on the wagon. Well, I'm not going to do this again. That's it. I've had enough. I've binged my brains out. I hate how I feel afterwards. I'm not going to do this again. Over-remorseful and making resolutions, but never a decision. That's the important part there, being honest and not making a decision to take some actions and go through with this stuff. Um, planning various ways of drinking. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Changing the environment. I did a little in, um, um, geographical cure, to, attempted a geographical cure also. That doesn't work. Like, like Paula says, you know, I take me wherever I go. And... Um, Anyway, I just wanted to share that, you know, but basically what comes down to here is we all have one thing in common. We have a disease, we have an allergy of the body and a phenomenon of craving and the obsession of the mind. And it was important for Monica to learn this stuff and to start being honest. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much. My name is Leah, and I'm a recovered... Compulsive overeater. Sheila, go right ahead. Okay, I am Sheila, compulsive overeater. Okay, I was going to be quiet, but then I'm not being honest. Thank you for mentioning that. Um, the first one, I have a circle um, who is unwilling to admit they cannot take the first drink. For me, it's the first fight. I had a hard time saying, I am Sheila, I'm a compulsive overeater. 
a very hard time saying that because I didn't eat a, a lot of one thing. I didn't sit and eat a whole of anything. I think uh, I had a little bit of this and I'm okay. I stop when I, um, before I'm full, so I'm not a compulsive overeater for a long time. A long, long time. But then I would have something that I hadn't had in a while. And then the obsessive and the allergy of the mind would take over. That's a new word for me because I did not know that until I started listening to this meeting about the allergy of the mind and obsessive thinking. I I didn't put those two together until very recently of how you can have this very little of something and you just, the next day you want it again, the next day you want it again. And all along, I'm not eating all of it. I'm not eating large amounts of it, but I'm having it every day. And that's where I think my disease sticks in. There's a story in the big book that he thought he could drink. I identified with that story in the book because I'm thinking I can have this and I'll be okay, but then the obsession would take over. And um, that's what I'm learning. Now I'm trying to figure out how to get ahead of that. Of course, you don't pick it up, then that you have a fighting chance, but the obsessive thoughts stay there even if you don't pick it up for me. So my work is cut out, and I appreciate your service and for for this meeting. With that, I pass. Thank you, Sheila. Again, my name's Lay. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. It says here at the yesterday at the opening paragraph on this particular discussion, it says the classification of alcoholics seems most difficult and in much detail is outside the scope of this book. So they're not spending a lot of time on classification um because uh It's outside the scope of this book, and the bottom line, it says, then there are types entirely normal in every respect, except in the effect alcohol has upon them. They are often able, intelligent, friendly people. Um, And they're going to reveal more in the next paragraph. But essentially, you know, what they're saying here is that alcoholism occurs in all sorts of people, including even those who, until alcoholism develops, have no serious emotional problems. And that's true for compulsive overeaters as well. Compulsive overeating occurs in all sorts of people, including even those who have no serious emotional problem. And it doesn't matter the class of individuals, and it doesn't matter your financial status, and it doesn't matter your social bracket, your social status. It doesn't matter your educational uh, accomplishments. It doesn't matter uh, regarding your intellect and your intellectual capabilities. Uh, it doesn't matter what culture you uh you know, we're born and and raised in. Um, The only requirement for alcoholism, the only requirement for compulsive overeating is going to be an abnormal reaction to that substance. And the abnormality develops either early or late in the alcoholic's drinking career or in our case in our compulsive overeating career. I'm one where my disease reared its head at a very young age. But there are many where the disease didn't rear its head at a young age and developed in in later life. So in truth, it matters little why we, uh, why the alcoholic drinks or why why the compulsive overeater um, binges. And it doesn't even matter how much. It doesn't even matter how much. I mean, it matters little why alcoholics drink or even how much they drink. And that's the same for compulsive overeaters. It matters little uh, why we compulsively overeat, and it doesn't even matter how much we consume. You don't have to consume the quantities I consumed, and vice versa. It's what the substance does to us that matters because we react differently to certain substances than do normal people. Alcoholics, in this case, react differently to alcohol than do social drinkers. I react differently 
to my trigger foods than does a normal eater. And that is the point that this uh, Dr. Silkworth is making within these paragraphs. And with this, I pass. Anyone else like to comment before we move on? This is Bella. Bella, go ahead. Okay. Um, when I was listening to this, I, I just what jumped out at me is when the alcoholic wants to change his pattern of drinking and try different things. I've been in the rooms for a long time, and when I listen to people say how they can finish a whole cake or a gallon of ice cream or a package of whatever and just gobble it down, I could never relate to that. And that that alone was convincing me that I was not compulsive, which of course I am. And then it dawned on me a few minutes ago that I tried a different method, and, and this I'm addressing this to all those other people who tried my method and thought that they were not compulsive overeaters. I would nibble. I would nibble my way through a cake in two days instead of in a day. But is that normal? Does a person finish a cake in two days by themselves? And I would convince myself because I ate little bits, I didn't gobble, and I didn't finish it all at once, and I didn't eat out of garbage cans, that I was perfectly fine. But yet, the, the stuff was missing. I, I finished a whole cake. I would do a lot of baking. And, you know, it was gone. And when I went back on program and did the same amount of baking, it hit me how much I was consuming, even though it was over a longer space of time, uh, you know, because... I had so much left in my freezer when I was on program than when I was off program, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. I said, wow, I didn't think I was eating that much. A little piece here, every time I walked by the table where I had my cake, I would just cut myself a little sliver. And with these little slivers, I was gaining weight right and left, and I just was in denial and not realizing what was going on. So if there is anybody out there that's doing this and fooling themselves into thinking that they are not compulsive, then they're in control. I just wanted to tell them, just be careful. This is one of the other ways of changing the way you're drinking your alcohol. And just please be careful. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Bella. Anyone else? All right, I'll take that as a no. Let's move on to the next paragraph with Rick, please. All these and many others have one symptom in common. They cannot start drinking without developing the phenomenon of craving. This phenomenon, as we have suggested, may be the manifestation of an allergy which differentiates these people and sets them apart as distinct entity. It has never been, by any treatment with which we are familiar, permanently eradicated. The only relief we have is to suggest is entire abstinence. Good morning. My name is Rick. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Here we go again, the doctor, for I believe it's the sixth time talking about the phenomenon of craving. Six times in this chapter, the phenomenon of craving is mentioned. So do you think it's important? I would say yes. And this is the concept that um, solidifies the connection between compulsive overeating and alcoholism. Now, for, for years in OA, I had heard lots and lots about sugar and flour. And uh, I thought that was great. I didn't put it down for quite a while, but when I finally put down the sugar, sugar and flour, wow, I lost weight, and my weight stabilized. Well, it wasn't until after I did that that I read this doctor's opinion and got involved with big book meetings. So it wouldn't have been nice had this been explained to me prior to all those years of, of uh, back and forth on binge items and trying to control them. Um, this this is this is key. This key to understanding the allergy of the body. Um, and as I was saying, just like the alcoholic, we can't ingest these substances. Um, you know, I I'm also an alcoholic, so this 
this is this idea became simple to me. If I put down these items, I'm not going to overeat them. I'm not going to be triggered to get more of them. And the other thing that strikes me is if we begin the process of identifying our binge items, putting them down one at a time, we know what most of them are. We can solve ourselves a, 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 save ourselves a lot of trouble by getting rid of those items. And as we go on, we're going to develop a bigger list of binge items. Um, I was talking to a friend the other day, and he said um, he had trouble. Uh, he was overeating on a certain type of vegetable. And I said, wow, that's unusual. I never did that. And then he said, well, I know what it is. It's what I put on the vegetable. And there it was, a binge item, a binge ingredient. And it's so critical that we, we find those items and eliminate them. And then those are our alcohol. That, those items to our bodies are the exact same as the alcohol to the alcoholic. They trigger that allergy of the body and then that phenomenon of craving. We can't stop once we start. And, once, and if we do stop, we can't stop from starting. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Rick. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Pat. Pat, go ahead. Yeah. And then Kim. Hi, I'm Pat, recovered compulsive overeater, and so grateful for this telephone line because I finally learned after 20 years, this is where the miracles are. When we come together, we find hope for all of our problems. It's taken me this long because I just didn't get it. I was using this as a diet and eating moderately. My friends would say, what's wrong with you, Pat? Why can't you have a get-together with us and just have one little piece of cake and put it down? Well, I was a people pleaser for many years and listening to everybody else, and I'd have that one piece of cake, and I want to go home and eat the whole cake in secret, and I, and I could just couldn't get it. I learned by reading and gaining knowledge, there's a professor in California, Dr. Ernest P. Noble. He discovered there are two types of genes. We either have a A1 gene or the A2 gene. Well, I for sure have the A1 gene. If I eat something I shouldn't eat, it's like taking a little sip of alcohol. It starts the phenomenon of a craving, and off I go on a relapse. And the people with the A2 gene, like all my friends who keep telling me what's wrong with me, they have the A2 gene. They can have a piece of cake at a celebration and go home and don't even think about it. And it's like the scariest part of the disease is the insanity. Everybody in the mental unstableness, it doesn't have to be a degree of insanity always where you have to end up in a mental institution. It can just be 10%, 20% un mental unstableness. Everybody saw it but me. That's the scary part of this disease. It is scary. It's like you don't even see it. And so I am so grateful that this year, for the first year, over a year now, I've been abstinent, and it's taken me over 20 years to finally get it that there are certain trigger foods I absolutely should not take. It's like saying an alcoholic, here, have just one little sip of wine a day. We're having a celebration. Just one little spoon of noodles can throw me off, white flour. And it's like I used to have just a little spoon of that and a little spoon of that and wonder why I'm so obsessive and compulsive. It's because I finally learned the only relief I have, like it says, is entire abstinence. So thank God for this day and with all of you on this line, God bless. I pass. Thank you, Pat. And Kim, please. Thanks, Maya. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim J, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. The phenomenon, as we have suggested, may be the manifestation of an allergy which differentiates these people and sets them apart as a distinct entity. That's what I have to accept. I have this distinct entity. I have this allergy. 
you know, all those different types of alcoholics, it's very interesting. If we can identify him that can help us to accept that we're a distinct, distinct entity, that's great. But does that mean if we know we're the psychopath or we know we're the manic depressive or we know that we're normal in every way but the alcohol, does that mean we get to work the program of recovery differently? No. It does not. If we are part of this distinct entity, if we have the allergy of the body, if we have the obsession of the mind, we have to go through these 12 steps. These different types does not mean we get to work the program differently. It doesn't mean if I'm 100 pounds overweight or if I'm 20 pounds underweight or if I binge and purge or if I use laxatives versus purging, I don't get to work this program differently. They're saying here this distinct entity group, if we have this allergy of the body, if we have this obsession of the mind, that is a deadly, deadly combination. And I love this last line. The only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. And I know people that say, look, they're just suggesting abstinence. That's our little compulsive overeater brain. They're not suggesting abstinence. They're saying they have no other suggestion, no other way of dealing with it because the allergy will always be there. The allergy will always be there. So the only way to not trigger the allergy is to not ingest our binge food. You know, people often say, I'm working step one, or how do I work step one? You know, we work step one in our, in our refrigerators and our pantry. Step one is simply a conclusion. Until we conclude that we are part of this distinct entity, until we conclude that we have the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind, and we are not unique or special by the way that maybe that manifests in life, whether it's obesity or anorexia or bulimia or psychosis or manic depression, whatever those things that come up, we have to accept the fact that we are powerless over the food, that our life is unmanageable, we will always have this allergy. And unfortunately, I think some of us feel, well, if we get spiritual enough, if I get spiritual enough, I can go back to my binge food. If I get spiritual enough, if I put my hand in God, I can eat my favorite food and I will not have that reaction. That's not what this program tells us. It's saying here the only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. Now, what these steps will do, if we walk through these steps and we establish that relationship with God, if we unblock ourselves through the action steps of four through nine, the miracle is we're not going to want to eat. And if we do not want to eat, we're not going to go back to the food and we're not going to trigger the allergy. But part of step one is the total acceptance, fully conceding to our innermost self that we have this allergy that we are distinct entity and the only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. And with that, I pass. Thank you very much. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Monica? Monica, go ahead. Good morning again, Leah. This is Monica again, Recovered Compulsive Reader. Wow. Um, one symptom in common, they cannot start drinking without developing the phenomenon of craving. And like has been said, no matter who we are, what we are, if we have this symptom, we have this allergy, we have a disease, we are compulsive overeaters. Whether we're nibblers or gobblers, uh, it, it doesn't make any difference. We start, we cannot stop if we ingest a binge food. And it doesn't have to be an immediate reaction. It can be a delayed reaction. You could have something today and think, oh, I did okay with that today. Tomorrow, well, you know, I did okay yesterday. Maybe I'll try two of them today. And you might do okay that day. And then you might try it again, and then bang, you're off. So it doesn't have to be an immediate reaction. But it's an allergy. We have an allergy to our binge foods. And we've got to be honest with what our binge foods are also. And they are very many different things for many different people. And it is not just sugar and alcohol. I mean sugar and flour. Some people can do those things. Some people, most of us cannot. There's also other items you have to think about. You know, I've seen a lot of people say, oh, I've been abstinent for 20 years and are still over 200 pounds. I've been abstinent from sugar and flour for 20 years and they're still over 200 pounds. There's something not right with there. There's other things that are going on. So I would like you to think about high-fat items, 
salty items, and also eating behaviors that we do. And it says here, it has never by any treatment with which, which, with which we are familiar permanently eradicated. You know, this was true in the 1930s when this book was written. And here we are in 2013 with all the medical advances that we have. There is still no cure for this. We will never be cured. But what we're saying here is there is a solution and you can get relief. Relief starts with identifying and putting down the binge foods. And I think, oh my God, i got to give up all my goodies. Well, you know what? There was nothing good about the goodies. And I have had such a freedom and a peace with putting those down. Something I searched my whole life for. And I don't, and it's just amazing. So start by putting those binge foods down. You've got to be abstinent. Our thinking has to be clear. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Monica. Anyone else like Hi, to comment Anna. on this paragraph? Dana, go ahead. Dana. Thank you. Good morning, Leigh. Good morning, everybody. This is Dana. Grateful, recovered, compulsive eater, and bulimic. I love, love, love the doctor's opinion, and I love these paragraphs. Um, first of all, I just want to say also it was women in OA that also alerted me to the fact that alcohol breaks down very much like sugar. And so when I had to identify what were my trigger foods, I realized that maybe I didn't want to drink more alcohol after I had some wine or alcohol, but it certainly led me to food and other binge foods. And so I abstained from alcohol as well. Um, But something that really helped me was to, and I think we've been talking about it, is I had to put in the word with no guarantee. So when I ingested these foods, there was no guarantee that I could stop. And when I stopped, there was no guarantee that I could stay stop. See, like my husband, not a compulsive eater, okay? He could eat a trigger food that might even, you know, it, well, he, he could eat a trigger food, and he could guarantee with 100% certainty that if he wants one, he will have one. He has no problems. He says he wants two, he can have two. Or he could say he wants two and then just have one because he was full. See, I can't say that with certainty. And for so long I tried. I'm only going to have one. I'm only going to have one. I'm only going to have one. But I couldn't guarantee. Sometimes I could. Sometimes I could. But I couldn't guarantee it. And that's the difference. The other piece is that he could say, I'm not going to eat blah, blah, blah anymore. I think I shared this yesterday in the after meeting. You know, he has prostate cancer, so he went on an you know, anti-cancer diet, you know, to eliminate the, the, the um, terrain in his body, you know, to make it un, unwelcoming to cancer. So he doesn't eat certain foods now. Sugar and flour happens to be. <laughs> um, and he just stopped. Stopped. You know, he misses it sometimes, and he wishes he could have, and occasionally he may indulge here and there. But he did. He stopped. No issue. If it were me, I would know I had cancer, and I would still not be able to control it because I am different from my fellow. And um, I can't guarantee that I can stop. And that was like a revelation for me. There's no guarantee. I can't tell you with certainty that if I'm going to stop, I'm going to stay stop. Or if I, have, if I only have one, I'm gonna, you know, if I only want one, I'm going to have one. And something that someone on this meeting said, which really resonated with me, is that after a normal eater, a person who is not a compulsive eater, when they um, eat a trigger food, um, when they eat cookies, when they eat cake, what have you, they are more satisfied after than before, right? They want this item, they eat the item, they are now satisfied. Those are the people that I know most of us can't understand. They push the plate away, and when the waiter comes, they go, oh, yeah, I'm done. And there's half a cake there, and we're sitting there going, how can they do that, right? But with me, and this is was a huge aha for me, with me, I am less satisfied after I eat my trigger foods. When I eat my dinner, that's completely not trigger food, and in a in a um, in a volume, you know, that's set for me. 
I have no problem. I eat it. I'm done. This is the, the, the promise that you guys gave me if I would go through the steps precisely as the book outlines it, um, which is that I re- react sanely normally. I, I wouldn't be afraid. I'm not cocky. I'm not afraid. I'm not running after it. I'm not running towards it. I'm just, it's neutral. So I eat my abstinent meal. I'm done. I'm, not, I'm satisfied. But if you give me a binge food, I am less satisfied after the first bite, the second bite, the third bite, 10, 20 of them. I'm still less satisfied. You know, so the joke in my house is, you know, when someone, if someone offers me, Mommy, do you want a cookie? Even though they, don't, they know I don't eat them. I say, there are not, or someone in the grocery store, would you like a sample of, you know, this food? And I say, you don't have enough of it in this. <laughs> There's not enough of that stuff in this store to satisfy me because I have this allergy when I eat. I'm actually less satisfied after. Then I might be stuffed. I might be so full I have to throw up. And I did that so that I could have more. But I'm less satisfied, and that was very helpful to me. So I'm extraordinarily grateful for this meeting where we study the book. And I'll just reiterate what I say every time I share, which is usually in the after meeting, which is that this meeting will not get you recovered. <laughs> it's studying. It's like studying about tennis will not make you a tennis player. You actually have to play. Um, so coming to the meeting and listening will certainly educate you and enlighten you and give you some new information, but you actually have to take the tour. The map is the book. The tour guides are on this line, and, uh, and with God's grace, you'll be a tour guide too one day. Thanks. Thank you very much. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Hi, this is Julie. Um, I'd like to comment. Go ahead, Jerry. Julie? Julie, I'm sorry. Go That's ahead. Okay. That's okay. Um, I'm Julie, a, a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. And, um, you know, I've read this so many times in and out of, of OA. Thought I understood it, but I didn't. Um, very interesting when I, after having, you know, I don't know, two and a half years of back-to-back abstinence, I chose to eat something that was a trigger food. And within... 15 minutes, um, you know, maintaining 150-pound weight loss, uh, abstinent, working the tools, not recovered, let me tell you. Um, I binged and purged in a Chinese restaurant. And that is that phenomenon of craving. And it wasn't sugar that I put in my mouth. It was, it, I went to a Chinese restaurant. And, but it was the emotional thing, or not the mental thing that was going on. I was already going to set myself up. And um, it's true. Every time that when I was a kid and I was on a diet or through my um, early adulthood, in and out of relapse, it all started, you know, with me taking something that set that, I was already in the the mental, emotional uh, state, the mental state, and then I took that first bite and I couldn't do anything but eat. So I'm very glad that, you know, they figured this out in 1934 and it's taken me since um, being in OA in 81 off and on to get it. And since I I understand, you know, the obsession to eat has left me. Um, You know, I I pick up certain foods to give them to my children. I have neutrality for the first time in my life. And um, it's because I understand this concept I am separate from other people, and that's okay. And I'm glad that I was able to put the food down so that I could work the rest of the steps to see exactly what it says in the big book. Because I, that's why I didn't recover last time. I only got sick, and uh, that's not where it's at. So I'm so glad that everybody's here, and they can talk about this paragraph, and everybody understands what happens once we ingest any type of food that we have decided that we know triggers that allergy. So, um, you know, it does suggest entire abstinence. And I know what that is for me. And um, I just need to adhere to that. And it's easy when I work a program out of the big book and do service. So thanks. Thank you. This is Leah, recovered compulsive overeater. I too would like to comment on this. It says, all these and many others have one symptom in common. They cannot start drinking without developing the phenomenon of craving. So Dr. Silkworth is summing it up here. 
he's saying in this case for the alcoholic, he's saying there's one thing every alcoholic, regardless of his personality, has in common. And that is at some point, uh, once an alcoholic starts drinking, they're going to go looking for another drink and another and on and on. Um, And that's true for compulsive overeaters. That regardless of personality, you know, you might have the manic depressive type, you might have the unstable type, you might have the friendly type, all sorts of different types of people. But the bottom line is that all of these have one symptom in common, and that is when we pick up our trigger foods, that triggers a phenomenon of craving. And the only way we can crave, according to the text here, is to first put that substance in our system. So they cannot start drinking without developing the phenomenon of craving. This phenomenon, as we have suggested, may be the manifestation of an allergy. An allergy is an abnormal reaction, right? Some people are allergic to strawberries. They might get a rash. Some people are allergic to uh, pollen. They may get watery and itchy eyes. I have an allergy to certain substances, trigger foods. My allergic reaction is expressed by a phenomenon of craving. That differentiates me and sets me apart as a distinct entity. I am bodily different from the normal person. How did I get to be one? I don't know. And I didn't have time to figure that out, how I got to be a compulsive overeater. Because this is not about medical science, and this is not about psychology, and this is not about Freudian concepts. We don't have the time to figure out how you got to be a compulsive overeater, because chances are you'll die during the investigation. It says it has never been by any treatment with which we are familiar permanently eradicated. Eradicated means removed completely destroyed or removed from existence. That's it. That's the way I'm wired. It has never been by any treatment with which we are familiar permanently eradicated. It is here to stay. The only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. And I had to come to grips with that. You know, and I had to look back at my my history of compulsive overeating, that when I ate certain foods, I could not control the amount of food I ate. Something happened to me when I put those foods in my body and I developed an insatiable appetite for more binge foods. Once I started, I had little or no control. And that didn't bother me for a long, long, long time. I wanted to overeat. It was still fun. And I wanted to binge, and I did binge. But the day came when I didn't want to be obese, and I didn't want to be depressed, and I didn't want to be miserable. And so I said, I'm not going to binge my brains out. I'm just going to overeat a little bit. I'm just going to have a little of some of my favorite foods. And you know what? I couldn't eat a little bit. And I found out, and I learned this through the doctor's opinion and looking at my history, that when I put certain foods in my body, I cannot control the amount of binge foods I eat, period. The only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. Would anyone else like to offer a quick comment before we close? Okay, I'll take... Paula, get in there. Go ahead. Oh, by the skin of my teeth, and there it is. I'm just going to look at that word relief. That's what brought me to my knees. That's what brought me to my knees. That's when I finally be, was able to write and to read and have my mind come to that willingness that was I needed relief so desperately. I could not continue to do this day after day, saying, it'll be different next time, it'll be different, and when it never was. But that part, oh, was the price high? Oh, honey, not for what I received. And there it was. We have to suggest, and what a suggestion it was. They're the beginning. They're the beginning, not the ending, but they're the beginning, is entire abstinence. I even fooled around with that word, entire. What does that mean, entire? Come on, let's play around with that one a bit. 
No playing around here, honey. This is a life and death matter. And when I finally realized that, then I could see relief was there for me. And there it was. Entire abstinence. Thank you for allowing me to share. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. And thank you to everyone who shared this morning. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Judy B., will you please read that for us this morning? Yes, Leah, good morning. This is Judy B., a recovered compulsive overeater from Massachusetts. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.